Welcome back to Information's Crossroads podcast. My name's Abby Miller, and I'm back at it again, hosting November's edition of the pod. Today, we will be discussing what has probably been on nearly everyone's mind around the globe for the past few weeks, the U.S. presidential election. Uh, major news networks made the call on Saturday that Joe Biden will be our next president, though President Trump has not yet conceded or potentially accepted the results of the election. With me, I've got Jill Jamison, a well-known figure in the infrastructure, finance, and P3 space to discuss what we could see in the next four years. Jill, welcome to the show. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, so for anyone who doesn't know Jill, which is probably unlikely, she's been involved in the U.S. P3 space for a while. Um, when we met, Jill was managing director at JLL's public institutions practice, where she worked with both public and private sector clients. Uh, and since leaving JLL in May, Jill has started her own advisory firm, uh, Illuminati Advisors, which I really like the name of, um, just incidentally, uh, and where she's president and CEO. So yeah, again, uh, thanks for joining us, Jill, and let's get on into it. I guess I'll just hop in with how are you feeling post-election? Are you feeling optimistic about, you know, the state of the United States and the market, or pessimistic, or somewhere in between? Well, I, I think it depends on what we're talking about, right? In terms, of, I, I think few of us are, are elated um, with the way things are unfolding sort of post-election, right? The uncertainty around um, accepting the results and recounts and those sorts of things. Um, I think it's giving everyone collective angst and, um, and, and, you know, maybe fraying our very last nerves. But from sort of an infrastructure finance perspective, um, you know, I, I don't think that we've had any sort of earth-shatteringly big news either way. Um, in Washington, um, you know, I'm assuming that Biden will be coming in with a new administration. Um, he's not an unknown figure. Um, he's been very vocal and very transparent in terms of his plans going forward. I think the the, the big uncertainty is – how will the elections play out in terms of the Senate and Congress? Because I think that will dictate to some extent what he will be able to do in terms of um, implementing the plans that he's set out thus far. Right. That's Yeah, that actually leads well into my next question, which is if the Democrats don't take the Senate, which is not something that we'll know until, I guess, early to mid-January, is there any hope of getting any sort of infrastructure plan or stimulus passed? So I think there is. Um, so, so there are a couple of things. Um, the discussions of the blue wave, um, obviously they didn't manifest, right? And so we didn't have mm -hmm. what we call a supermajority in, in the Senate would be 53 or more um, uh, in Democrat space. And that, you know, that way you can change rules and get a lot done pretty quickly. Um, less than that, we always knew there would need to be compromise. And whether either the Republicans remain with the majority, whether it's tied with, with the vice president breaking the or whether the Democrats take a majority. Um, either way, it was going to require us to, um, as a nation, to make some compromises. Um, I think it would have been, quite frankly, difficult to implement just writ large the um, Build Back Better plan in terms of, of everything that it was asking for, right? There was always going to be some need for compromise. But I, I don't think that we need to be pessimistic about it. Um, you know, infrastructure remains a kitchen table issue. Both sides are very much committed to it. The problem that we've always had is how to pay for it, and there are very different positions on that between the Republicans and the Democrats. And then some of the, the pecking order, right? So are we going to be looking at urban mm -hmm. transit, or are we going to be looking at, at rural transportation? Where is the money going and how it's going to be put out there? But I think right now, um, you know, 
the size of the stimulus package, whether the stimulus would be part of the infrastructure package or would be separate from that, there's still a lot of questions there. But I do not think, to be quite frank with you, that infrastructure is going to be the laughing stock that it has been, quite frankly, for the last few years. You know, we always joke about mm -hmm. um, infrastructure week here in D.C. <laughs> Whenever everything goes bad, it's infrastructure week, right, because nothing ever happened. I do think that there's going to be a, a more serious look at this. And the other thing I would say is, you know, regardless of one's politics, Joe Biden has been around for a long time, and he knows how to build consensus and knows how to work across the aisle. And so if there is ever going to be a hope of getting both sides of the, uh, the, 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 the chamber to come together on something for infrastructure, he may be our best bet at this moment. So I remain cautiously optimistic. Um, I was never naive enough to believe that he could just step in on day one and, and implement the entire Build Back Better plan. You know, $2.5 would mm -hmm. be awesome to see. Um, but we knew that that was a starting point in a negotiation. So I, I remain cautiously optimistic. Yeah, definitely. I think that uh, that more or less echoes how I've been feeling about it. Um, and, you know, you touched on a little bit how something so large would be paid for. As we know, the past few years, the deficit under the Trump administration has increased, um, but that seems to be something that only is really a talking point when a Democrat is in office, at least from the other side of the aisle. Do you think that that's something that's going to come up a lot and could potentially get in the way of any sort of either stimulus or infrastructure bill or mix of the two? Um, absolutely it will, because that's what happens, right? Um, so, so it's not mm -hmm. an issue until it becomes an issue. But I think, I think there are two things, right? And um, one is the stimulus itself. And um, I actually probably fall on the side of this debate that most people would not expect. The idea of investing massive amounts in infrastructure as a way to stimulate the economy and bring us back from the COVID sort of recession um, has had support from, from President Trump. It has support from, from incoming President Biden. It's had support from, um, from Congress and the Democrats in Congress. The, the sticking point on that has been Republicans in the Senate. And their view of it is that for better or worse, um, deficit or no deficit, is that they have not been able to um, justify it on the basis of they don't see how that sort of investment is going to have a response that will pull us mm -hmm. out of this sort of recession that we're in. And the reason for that is that we all know infrastructure, they're long lead items, right? So there are very few shovel-ready projects that if you just put money in that immediately you can start working on, right? But secondly, if you look at the, the, the sort of the characteristics of the COVID impact, um, those who lost their jobs, those who were unemployed, those who were looking for work, did not come mostly from the construction industry. They came from services industry. And it's really hard. We've already had work shortages in the infrastructure sector before um, the COVID. And so if you put more money into this, there is concern that it's just going to drive up prices um, because we can't easily transition a server at Applebee's into a crane operator, right? It takes time to right. build up the workforce capacity. So I think that that's been probably one of the, the sticking points is that it's, it's not that they don't necessarily want infrastructure, it's that they have not seen the correlation between the stimulus package infrastructure and the response that they want. But that's very different than if we look more broadly at sort of the Build Back Better or any of the infrastructure packages that have been posited over the last few years, right? Um, I think universally mm -hmm. we can all agree that the United States is woefully in need of massive amounts of, of investment in our infrastructure um, uh, across the spectrum, whether it's in water, transportation, 
energy, um, et cetera. We, we just need a lot of things. And I think there, there is consensus. Where they get stuck there is on how to pay for it, right? And deficit spending um, has, been, has been the sticking point. If Biden had gotten the supermajority that he was after, he had anticipated mm-hmm. that he would pay for it by raising taxes on anyone making over $400,000 a year. And that was going to generate enough of an of a, of a income stream to be able to, to fund that, that $2.5 trillion. I think Wall Street actually was, was quite comfortable with that as well. Now that he doesn't have the supermajority, tax reform is going to become complicated, right? And so I do think there's going to have to be some scaling back of that. Um, but I think that, yeah, we kind of have to separate stimulus from infrastructure because I think stimulus as a means to, excuse me, infrastructure as a means to stimulus um, is probably always going to get stuck in, in the Senate because of sort of that lack of correlation between outcome and income, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah, that does make sense. That's not something that um, I had really thought of. You know, we we think of infrastructure and immediately think of new jobs, but the way that you put it does make sense. Even outside of 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 stimulus and in, in, in the correlation with job creation, et cetera, you know, both sides of the aisle, um, the Trump administration as well as, as Biden, they've talked a great length about the need to build up um, you know, our construction workforce as well and our infrastructure workforce. So I think that that's something that needs to happen as well. But right now, I think the fear is that if you throw a lot of money into the infrastructure sector, it's really just going to drive up prices in the short term. Um, That is a stimulus. That is very different, though, than the need to create long-term sustainable funding for infrastructure, whether it's new infrastructure, O&M of existing infrastructure, or just modernization in general. Yeah, that – that makes a lot of sense in terms of jobs and the way that jobs are transitioned. I'm not sure that I thought of that or seen that argument, but it definitely does make sense. And I can see why that would be a barrier in terms of getting something passed or wanting to make that a priority. Um, kind of yeah, I think if, now, if I can just expand yeah. on oh, yeah. what, what, one thing on that. Yeah. So, so this is my pet peeve and I'm just going to say it out there because I think it needs to be put to the universe every now and again is that, Mm-hmm. The unfortunate thing in the United States is is both red and blue, but the Democrats and the Republicans consistently look at infrastructure as a means to an end, right? And, and so it's, infrastructure mm-hmm. is a means to create jobs, and, and obviously it has done that. You know, when we look back at the at the New Deal, um, FDR helped, you know, create jobs as, as we built our infrastructure. Right now we are in a very different situation. We're in a situation where we are almost catastrophically seeing – the decline of our infrastructure, you know, we've got, what is it, 58,000 um, water main breaks uh, a day in the United States. We've got bridges that are that are dangerously, um, you know, falling down. We have dams that are, you know, Oroville Dam that just bursts one day. We're, we're not in a situation where we can look at infrastructure as a means to an end. We also need to look at it as an end in and of itself. And to that, um, I, I do think that there are externalities involved, for instance, creating jobs, generating economic growth and those sorts of things. But but if I could, like, you know, pick, pick at both sides of the aisle on this, is that we need to take a realistic and holistic look at infrastructure as an end in and of itself. It's our competitive competitivity as a nation is, is, is part of this. So I think when we see things like let's invest in infrastructure to stimulate the economy or maybe we can create jobs – I'm not disagreeing that that is something that could happen if we invest in infrastructure. My point is that we should be investing in infrastructure, period. Um, 
not because of the externalities, because we need to modernize our assets <laughs> or we will not be a competitive nation in the future. And I think that's that's probably where I've, I might be quibbling a little bit, but that's where I might differ than both sides of the aisle. And that's sort of if, if I had a voice in this, that's what I would be saying to, to those who are listening. Um, we have to come up with a long-term sustainable infrastructure funding and management plan that is not subject to the um, – to sort of the the whims and the and, and the cyclical nature of 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 investing just when we need some jobs or just when we need this or just when we need that, particularly in the election season. So anyway, I've said that. Now you can go on to your next question. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. Certainly. Yeah. Thanks for um, expanding. Um, yeah. So like I was saying, I'm just going to switch lanes a little. I know that. I mean, uh, we all have probably all heard the news that yesterday Biden selected uh, Ronald Klain as his new chief of staff. Um, mm-hmm. And Phil Washington from L.A. Metro, who I'm not sure if you've worked with him at all, but he is joining Biden's transition team. Do you have any ideas who, you know, might be selected to replace someone like Elaine Chow? Or head up, you know, head up the USDOT or fill any of those other infrastructure-related posts. So, so it, it's a great question, and we spend in the DC area probably more time than we should in the speculation. It's a parlor game that we play, right? Uh, that you know, we've heard mm-hmm. uh, Mayor Garcetti is is a possible candidate. We've heard a lot of people. The, the mm-hmm. one thing I can say is that the Biden administration has been around for so long that they know. I mean, they, they have very deep talent pools that they can pull from in this. Um, So I'm not really Mm -hmm. concerned about them finding talented people. Um, And and whether it's Mayor Garcetti or whether it is somebody else that goes into DOT, um, I I think, you know, that leadership is going to be important. Um, The challenge that they have or that we have as a nation is that transportation is not all of our infrastructure, right? So so you've got to get pretty darn wonky in in terms of of transition and in terms of leadership to start addressing at the federal level all the different infrastructure we need. So you can look at, you know, positions like the ASA, Assistant Secretary of the Army, who oversees the core civil Mm -hmm. works program. You've got to look at VA. You've got to look at DOE, right? So, you know, I, I'm absolutely confident that they're going to be able to find good people um, for those positions. Um, the other challenge is that bringing people in from the outside, which you need to do. I mean, that's that's what happens in these. But it's really very different in terms of what the federal government can do in terms of infrastructure versus what the local experience is, right? So it's easy to understand if right. we work at the state or local level. Look, you know, we like federal credit programs, but we don't like all the strings attached. Or why don't you just give us more money, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas at the federal level, the things that keep people up at night have more to do with how OMB is going to score a budget and, um, you know, some of the delivery elements like continuing contracts and those sorts of things. So there needs to be that marriage between, I think, the state and local expertise, which I'm absolutely positive that the Biden administration is going to pull in together with sort of that federal knowledge, which they also know. So I don't know. I'll be honest with you. I mean, we literally talk about this too much, I think, in the D.C. area about who might be in what position. Yeah. I think we'll, we'll know soon enough, right? But uh, right now, I think that mm-hmm. um, 
I, I do have confidence that they can pull in the right sorts of talent for this because they've just, you know, Biden's been around this environment for a very long time. And unlike somebody who's coming in for the first time to Washington, he does know how the system works. Um, and, and he's going to have to balance D.C. versus the rest of it. But I, I don't know for sure who might be there. Um, the names I hear are probably the same as you hear, like, like Garcetti. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. And then also kind of to switch lanes again, sort of. Um, and as the last question that I'll ask, you know, we saw some recent advances in the in P3 projects in the market. One was Prince George's County selecting a winning team and getting bankers involved. And do you think that indicates momentum in the market um, or regardless of the outcome of the election, will there still be kind of a a pause given the fiscal health in cities and states related to the COVID-19 crisis, which seems to only be getting worse again. So, yeah, I mean, I think that um, all the projects that I was working on pre P3 projects that I was working on pre COVID um, have continued right along on their merry way with very little interruption. Obviously, if there have been bid stages, due diligence a little longer and those sorts of things. But I, I really didn't see COVID have a massive um, impact on the Petri market one way or the other. Yeah, there were some unpredictable moments there in May and, and April, May and, and June when, you know, we had tax exempt and taxable finance inverted in terms of yield curves. And we, you know, had issues with credit spread and those sorts of things. Um, but the market has pretty remained rain pretty consistent um, in terms of P3. I don't think COVID has moved the needle in terms of what people are looking at in terms of finance and delivery model. I do think, however, that there has been a massive reshuffling of priorities. So projects that were not really already in the, in the process of moving forward, if, if you were looking at GDP-driven sectors, say, for instance, transportation, toll roads, and those sorts of things, obviously it became very difficult to move forward with P3s because nobody was driving for a while, right? Airports became really problematic because they were going into distress, right? So, so we had a lot of those issues. Mm -hmm. I spent a lot of my time negotiating sort of um, remedies and, and whatnot to sort of that fiscal downturn in those. But in other areas, like public schools, like water systems, um, we've seen continued um, growth and even the, their new projects coming to market, as you know, um, Santa Clara Valley and the Water District with the purification project, um, like Oswego continues to move forward. Um, uh, Fresno State has moved forward as well. So I think everything is just sort of moving in their own way. Um, Maybe things are taking a little bit longer. I do think, however, you know, maybe not the full Monty in terms of P3. I think that, you know, we are seeing a lot of contracting agencies now look at sort of bridge financing, so DBF, um, performance-based contracting, those sorts of things, so that they can at least defer payments until after completion of the project when the economy has come back to, to full uh the full footing, right? Um, but I think there, yeah, I think there are a number of things: uh, reshuffling of priorities um, and this need for some bridge financing. There is less money for sure, um, mm -hmm. and so again, priorities as they shift may have projects that were sort of on the edge, and maybe we'll do this, maybe we won't, that, that become sort of um, mothballed for a little bit longer, and that's where a stimulus or, or more money for infrastructure could be helpful. But I, I, I've, I've 
said it many times. I saw the COVID situation. It did not interrupt my day ever. Um, you know, we've been working 24-7 on, on projects and value for money assessments and all those sorts of things. So the market continues to be robust, if not a bit more complicated. Um, COVID to me was agnostic in terms of delivery model, and I think it'll probably remain as such. Um, and likewise, the election. I, I some people are like, oh, this will be bad for P3, and others are like, oh, this will be good for P3. I, I honestly think, you know, it's the election was, was P3 agnostic. P3 mm -hmm. remains another tool in the toolkit. Um, what is making it probably a little bit more challenging for public agencies to opt for the P3 model is um, the low interest rate environment that we're in, right? So, so if you can issue bonds on something at 0.7% or 0.8% versus private financing that at a blended rate might come in at, at 3%, um, that's a pretty big delta to explain to your shareholders or your taxpayers or, or your uh, rate payers, right? And so, um, you know, sort of the spread that the private sector financing premium, I think, has been one of those things that had been a little bit challenging for, for public sector agencies to get over, particularly in this very low interest rate environment. Um, I know that there are a lot of uh, people, smart people out there working on those issues um, in terms of lowering sort of the private finance premium. Um, and I think that uh, there's been good good advancements in that in that manner. But, you know, those who need private sector financing will still seek it. Um, those who are on the cusp and sort of 50-50, they may opt not to use private financing. But that's that's been the case forever, right, in the U.S. market. So, yeah, I, I don't think there's been a massive impact um, from COVID on P3, but in my world where I'm sitting in my seat, um, I see a very robust line. I'm working on projects that are energy, transportation, lots of water, um, ecosystem restoration projects, so a very diverse set of, of, of infrastructure, um, and all of them are exploring P3, um, and some are at market, some are at closing, and, and some will soon be coming to market, hopefully. Great. Great. Um, well, thank you, Jill, for being here. Unfortunately, that's all the time that we have, so thank you, everyone, for listening, um, and we'll be back again next month. My pleasure, and thanks Thanks for having me. And, um, yeah, well, we'll see. Um, after they, 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 they select the cabinet, we'll see who's in there. But um, regardless, um, yeah, America needs to invest in infrastructure. So hopefully, no matter who they put in there, we'll believe that as well. I agree, yep. All right, well, thank you again for joining us, and thank you, everyone, for listening in.